Okay, the first Bible reading is from Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, which you can find on page 946 in our church Bibles. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hear hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share one with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of (coughs) the spirit and fire. Sorry, I read that wrong. The straps of whose sandals I am worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Take your seats as Carol comes to speak to us. 
pray before we begin. Come, Holy Spirit, change our hearts, help us to hear what it is you need to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is quite a Bible reading, isn't it? You brood of vipers. I've always wanted to say that out loud in church, and now I get the opportunity. It's fantastic. Nothing to do with the sermon, I just wanted to say it, really. So today, we're looking at the message of John the Baptist. Advent's a funny old time, isn't it? We're there, but we're not there. God is with us, but not quite yet. And so we wait. I'm not good at waiting. I'm always looking at the next mountain, the horizon, trying to see what's there, anticipating, looking forward, questioning where I'm going. I don't know, some of you will have been around in 1991 when Otzi, the Iceman, was found. Do you remember? He was four and a half thousand years old. Was it that? Yes. Um, And he was found in a glacier. Do you remember? Lots and lots of blank places. Well, I got really excited about it. He was, he was an adventurer. The, the, the anthropologists and historians got very, very overexcited about this man they had found in a glacier that was so old. It was international news for, for, for weeks. Um, and he was found on the border between Austria and Italy. I read an article at the time that said he probably was one of those people who just had to go and see what's over the mountain. He had to go and see what was over in the the ocean, which is why he got killed. Clearly, there wasn't a glacier then when he got killed, but um, he was off doing his adventures. And the article said that possibly the human race owed his existence to people who, who just can't stay still, to people who are constantly wanting to push forward, constantly asking difficult questions. And if not as it's the human race owed its existence, certainly owed its phenomenal worldwide success to people who were off on adventures. So, in essence, people like me have saved the human race. Well, maybe not. But some people do ask a lot of questions. And there's a question in this passage which I think helps us to get to the heart of what John is saying to us. Questions are always a good place to start with Scripture. And I think the clue to the importance of this question is that it's asked three times by three different sets of people. Luke is pointing us to the importance of asking it. The importance and recurring question here is, what should we do? It's in there in verse 10, verse 12, and verse 14. It was first asked by the crowd, then the tax collectors, and then the soldiers. So firstly, who is doing this asking? Well, the crowd. Who is the crowd? Clearly, they're people who followed John. We're told they'd come to be baptised, and I suspect, just like you and I, there's all sorts of motives for stuff you do. So probably they were there for all sorts of reasons. 
but they certainly would have been a mixed bunch. Some of them would have been Jews, some of them wouldn't have been Jews. They would have been from the Roman uh, occupiers, or they would have been from other races. I think crowds are very interesting. There's anonymity and safety in the crowd, isn't there? I know I'm much more more likely to stop and watch something in the street if there are other people already stop and watching. We feel safe in a crowd. And John could be talking to any one of them. Surely, it's not us as an individual he's talking to. And yet, and yet, how like the crowd we sometimes are. We assume others are the ones who need to repent. We assume because we've been baptised, because we come to church, maybe we even give stuff away sometimes. Or maybe we serve. We must be one of the good guys, like the Jews, a son of Abraham, immune from John's lashing tongue and the judgment that he's talking about. But actually, if you read this passage, John doesn't allow us that luxury. He's talking about a change of heart, a change of direction, and his warnings are dramatic and clear. It's there in verse 9. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. As Christians, I find we don't really want to talk about judgment It's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? I've heard the most straight-down-the-line evangelicals get quite woolly when judgment is mentioned. But here it is. It's loud and clear. No ambiguity. Judgment, at first sight, really isn't very good news. But actually, it's central to our gospel. Unless we can be sure that in the end, evil will be decisively overthrown, there is no good news. Judgment is coming. Are we ready? There's no room for us to hide in the crowd. So the next people, the tax collectors, ask the same question. What then should we do? Famously, tax collectors are dreadful people. Apologies to any tax collectors here. They were then anyway. They were Roman collaborators. They were dishonest, largely on the make. Clearly, very, very bad people. Or are they? Matthew was traditionally a tax collector, as was Zacchaeus. And in Matthew 9, we're told that Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners Perhaps John, like Jesus, was looking for people who knew of their need. Sometimes it's in the knowing that we get it wrong, that all of us need the Holy Spirit. All of us need to turn away from the things that trap us and can lead us deeper into fellowship with Jesus. Jesus is not looking for people who've made it, the successful and the self-sufficient, but for people who will turn to him knowing that they get it wrong sometimes. There is something very open, honest, and vulnerable about this question. What then should we do? When we are as open, honest, and vulnerable in our own prayer lives, 
the Holy Spirit will always respond. And then the third group, the soldiers. Well, got to be on safe ground here. They were Romans. Even Jews who were ready to align themselves with the Romans sometimes became soldiers. They are hardcore bad people, mercenaries, terrorists even. We can afford to dislike them, or can we? Jesus recognized faith in a centurion, and John too seemed willing to recognize someone's intention. It seems to me that God doesn't just tolerate those that society dislikes. He makes a beeline for them. The lesson of this crowd is that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, or what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what others think of you. If you are willing to let the Holy Spirit into your life and to believe in Jesus, you are welcome. And perhaps there is a lesson of, to those of us that have been Christians for many years, that Jesus calls people from the unexpected, the refugees, the terrorists, the difficult people, the outcasts of our age may just have more of a handle on the grace of God than we do. So that brings us to the question, what then should we do? It seems a simple question, but actually this is the task of Advent. And the passage points us to three things, waiting, seeking, and trusting. The first task of Advent is waiting. John points to one who is yet to come, soon but not yet. This is not a passive waiting, but an expectant waiting. God is coming. We need to use the time of waiting as John did, to tell people of what is happening, to understand and interpret what world events mean. Waiting can be a time of huge growth. John was passionately using every minute of waiting. He spent time alone with God, fasting in the wilderness so that he was ready. He let everyone know what was coming. And we too can use this time. We too can fast and pray. We too can ask the Holy Spirit to help us speak to people about our faith. We too can ask and question what world events mean. Waiting in the Bible is never a passive thing. God moves in the waiting, God speaks in the waiting. God changes us in the waiting. Are we willing to wait expectantly? I was reading something this morning which talked about a really practical way of waiting to take a chapter, perhaps of Luke's gospel or any of the gospels would be good, Each day, and it doesn't matter, some people are morning people, some people evening people. It doesn't matter what time of day. Whenever you've got 10 or 20 minutes to just sit down, read one chapter, only one chapter. It doesn't take long. And then you ask yourself four questions. 
Firstly, what does this chapter say? What does it mean? And then, more importantly, and perhaps more challengingly, what am I going to do about it? And how do I make my life more open to Christ because of what this chapter has said to me? And that brings us to seeking. The people had gone to John. Possibly they didn't quite know what they were looking for, but they were willing to spend time and effort in looking. Again, they weren't passive. They were engaging with what was happening, and there was lots happening. John is quite clear. Faith is not a spectator sport. It requires change and effort, and change that can cost us. It's there in verse 8, produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance. John is talking to us about change that comes from within, a willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to change us. I'm sure some of you were here two weeks ago when Pads challenged us to pray each day, Come, Holy Spirit. I wonder how many of us have forgotten. I do, I'll be honest. I I forget some mornings. But it's very easy to just sit and listen to a sermon and forget. And if we have remembered, I wonder, has God given us opportunities to choose righteousness, to choose his way? And last week, Paul finished by challenging us about what it was God was saying to us in this season. Are we still listening? John's clear message is that faith is active and alive, not something that happened while we weren't looking. Church is many things. It's a fantastic community. It's a support. It's encouraging. Gets involved in community service. But at its heart, it's a group of people journeying ever closer to Christ. And the way we do that is by opening up to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And that requires spending time in study and in prayer. Advent, the beginning of the church's year, is a good time to spend that time particularly when the madness starts taking over and you're thinking about Christmas cards and presents and shopping lists and family and all the other stuff. It's a really good time just to cut it all out and spend some time with God. And when we do, we will produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's how the kingdom of God advances. And trusting, that old thorny question, trust. While we wait and we seek, it's a time to trust. Trust is the opposite of fear. And it seems to me that the behaviour that John is asking people to stop is behaviour that comes from fear of the unknown. Fear that God will not provide Fear that you need to be proactive in your own well-being first because actually you can't trust God. I can only speculate 
how different the climate change talks in Paris may have been this week if each nation had acted from a knowledge of the love and trust of God who holds creation rather than a fear that other countries may be getting the better of them. And if all nations acted as John had asked, respecting each other and giving, there would be no refugee crisis. These are huge world events, and it can seem absolutely impossible even to pray effectively into them, let alone change them. But we can start in our own community, living as if God really was in charge, acting as if Jesus' return really is imminent, asking the Holy Spirit to come into our lives on a daily basis. And John is immensely practical. He asks us to bear good fruit, and then he tells us what that looks like. Giving to the poor, being honest, not stealing. This is not heroic Superman stuff. This is not going off where into some awful place that's much too hot with big spiders that you're going to get killed. This is everyday stuff. Give a shirt away if you have to. This is not getting crucified. This is start where you are. Live a godly life day by day. Trust God day by day in the small everyday things. John is not asking us to hand in our resignation and forsake everything and go and save the world. But he's asking us to be daily filled with the Holy Spirit where we are. Restoring relationships where we are. Praying for healing where we are. This is how the world changes. But when you trust God, you can expect the unexpected. We can't box God in. We have to trust him. Act without fear. And who knows where that might end. The Holy Spirit will use people we don't expect. Soldiers, tax collectors, refugees. Let's us all ask God this week, what now should I do? Don't be part of the anonymous crowd, but trust God with the answer. That is all we're being asked to do. Amen.